With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Ramon Alam. And as the Martin Short of this Three Amigos, I'm Isaac Butler. (laughs) That's right. All three of us are on the show at the same time because we're shaking things up a bit this episode. Ramon, do you want to explain what we're doing? You know, for me, the period of quarantine or shutdown or whatever noun we're using began on March 15th of 2020, which was the day that New York City announced it was closing all of its schools. You know, the real anniversary of a crisis that's still ongoing is impossible to land on, but it's been about a year since life as we know it changed. So we thought this was a good moment to look back at the past 12-ish months and talk about how that period has affected our work. That's what this show is about, after all. Yes, and we should also mention that listeners won't just be hearing from us. We asked some of our favorite creative friends to call us and tell us about their creative lives over the last year. But before we get to those voices, let's talk about, well, us during the pandemic. (laughs) June, what has this year been like for you creatively? Oh, God, I I kind of want to give listeners who have been like run ragged by their kids and caregiving and really time consuming life upending things the chance to fast forward through my answer because I am one of those people for whom this year was actually quite helpful creativity-wise. Like, sure, I was trapped in the house, but that's kind of my preference anyway. And not having to commute or go on vacation, oh, having to go on vacation, or go out to drinks or, you know, socialize in any way whatsoever, gave me, like, more time to study Japanese and do weird little art projects and also to decide to actually try to make something that I've been casually messing around with into an actual project, one that is still too early along to talk about. So it's actually been kind of good. So tell the truth, you guys. Do you parents hate people like me? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, My older brother is in a, a, a similar place. I texted him just to ask how it's going, and he's like, well, not much changes when you never leave the house, you know? So like, uh, uh, no, I mean, everyone has a different, you know, life and the pandemic affects all of us, um, uh, differently. And if there's any kind of silver lining or good news that can come out of it, I, I feel grateful for that, frankly. Yeah. Similarly, I think it's been such a bad time. And I think you also, like, I know that you're, June is looking on the bright side of things, but I think you can't discount that this has been a difficult time for every single person, not just because of the pandemic. It's been a period of political turmoil. It's been very stressful. It's not normal to, you know, not be able to give an old friend a big hug. So, and that takes its toll. That takes its toll. But I feel inspired by hearing that somebody has had a good year and it makes me think like, okay, I should uh, focus on having that experience for myself. Well, you know, Ruman, that that brings me to you. Your wonderful novel, Leave the World Behind, came out, got great reviews, sold well. It's being turned into a movie with exciting people uh, uh, at Netflix. But of course, there's your creative life in the midst of all of that. What's that been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's true that my book was published in October. So it was published into a world in lockdown. But that's a book that I wrote in 2019, So I had a great experience of publishing, but I'm not sure what my own sort of inner creative life has looked like. I haven't accomplished a ton since last March. My kids were home from school, you know, so that was a factor. But I don't really want to pin the blame entirely on them. You know, 
I spent the year working on this podcast, writing some book reviews, teaching two classes, cooking constantly. You know, we have our health, so I can't really complain. Like when you when you lose a period of time, it's like, well, there are so much worse that you can lose. And Isaac, by contrast, you were actually in the thick of things on a book project and the writing part of it, the really creative part of it. I know you turned it in a few weeks ago, so I can only assume that you feel like this period of shutdown has been good for you creatively. Yeah, you know, I think once Anne and I did the creative work of solving how we were going to get work done, then it was able to become a fairly productive year, you know, creatively. I mean, when you know, we first shut down our lives in late February, early March, I was watching Iris three quarters of the day. And then the final quarter of the day, I had exactly enough energy to do whatever work launching this podcast required of me. And that was about it. And we just realized that wasn't sustainable because, you know, like when you're writing a book for a publisher, you have a deadline and like you can extend it, but only so much. And so, you know, we actually wound up leaving town for five months. We were living um, with Anne's mom for half of that and with my parents for half of that because we needed the the childcare support. Uh, and there were two weeks in there when we were quarantining and stuff like that. Um, and once that happened, things started going pretty well. But I'd be lying uh, if I said it wasn't exhausting. You know, it was totally exhausting to have to rejigger everything to figure out like which books to pack in that suitcase oh, along God. with two weeks worth of groceries and, you know, all, all of that stuff. Like like it was it was it was definitely a marathon. And, and while I'm I'm happy with the book and often actually writing it was, of course, a joyous process. It was easily the most difficult, you know, creative stretch it was it was a slog um uh, a slog with lots of joy in it in places but a slog nonetheless okay let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll hear from some very smart people about their attempts to stay creative during a pandemic this episode of working is brought to you by progressive insurance Hey, listeners, whether you love listening to in-depth interviews and discussions of craft and the creative process or whatever the heck it is all the other podcasts you listen to do, you call the shots with what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And it's time to listen to some voicemails. In this first group, we'll hear from parents who suddenly found themselves with extra childcare duties, but still had to get their creative work done. Here's our first caller. I'm Zoe Kazan. I'm an actor and a writer. And uh, I think that the biggest challenge for me this year has been that we haven't had any childcare for most of the year. We have a two and a half year old and uh, my partner, Paul, and I have been sort of like trading off care with her to give each other three hours a day on weekdays, um, which is just a lot less time that I'm used to. Um, like days on set are really long. Like you could be at work for 16 hours. And since our daughter was about six months old, we've had nannies who have made it possible for us to go to work for those kinds of hours. And obviously during this time, that, that hasn't been possible. That's been the obstacle. The, like, great boon that has come out of it for me is that I have had three hours a day, every day of the weekday schedule. And as a result, um, I've had writing practice for the first time, which has been an extraordinary gift to me and has changed the way that I write. I just have a lot more patience with my process now, not rushing through a first draft, taking more care with rewriting and 
I feel like I have a different kind of access to my mind than I did before. Well, Isaac, I know you're very familiar with Zoe Kazan's work. What's your reaction to that voicemail? Um, well, you know, as a working parent who struggles to get writing done, I loved it. I felt a, I felt a great sense of kinship. Um, it also reminded me of something that Ruman said in one of our very early episodes, which is that he didn't really become a novelist until he had kids. You know, we think of having kids or having a day job or any of these other things as as burdens. And of course, they are burdensome on one schedule. You don't have all the time in the day, but they are also other ways of allowing the world into your life. And as long as you are able to create whatever writing time you are able to create outside of that, you know, it, it can actually be an enriching part of your life experience. And one of the ways that it does that is that it forces you to commit to regular writing time and committing to regular writing time and creating a creative habit is such an important part of the creative process. And one that I think we often neglect, um, even if it's just for an hour a day, or maybe it's just Saturdays from one to 3 PM or whatever, that kind of fixed time I think is, is really invaluable. What did you think, Ruman? Well, I, first of all, I completely agree with you, Isaac, that a little bit of constraint can actually be really enriching to your artistic life. And I think we're well past the idea that the pram in the hall is the enemy <laughs> of creativity. But what I really loved about Zoe's answer, if I can call her Zoe by her first name, <laughs> is that I, I hear her acknowledging the importance of work like childcare. Right, The people who perform that labor make it possible for a host of other people to accomplish their work. And it's valuable inside of a family unit, but it's valuable inside of society. Nannies and daycare providers make it so that we can have judges and airline pilots and pharmacists and everything else. So when we hear that phrase, essential worker, which I think we hear a lot these days, I feel heartened because it makes me think maybe society will begin to truly value the work of all different kinds of people. I was really moved by Zoe's answer, Zoe, um, because while, you know, I appreciate that she was focusing on the positive side of those three hours, I, I, I kind of heard what she didn't mention, uh, which was she didn't talk about losing the chance to use her acting talents. You know, I know that everyone has lost something in the last year, uh, including, you know, people who were important to us for some of us. But I do feel bad for athletes who were like at their competitive peak or performing artists and the behind the scenes teams that support them because they've lost a year of their working lives and maybe more because while some TV and movie is coming back, I really don't know how long it will be before we're back in concert halls and theatres. Because even if shows are back on, it's just not clear how soon people will be comfortable filling those halls. So there's, I, I really kind of heard what Zoe didn't talk about, and I was really moved by that. All right. So our next message is also from a parent. Let's uh, take a listen. Hello. This is Emma Straub calling, um, author and owner of Books Are Magic in Brooklyn. So the way that I stayed creative during the last year uh, is a two-pronged answer. The first prong, uh, which was from March until September, uh, was that I had you know, two children and zero childcare and my husband was at the bookstore all the time. So the only ways in which I was creative was doing stuff with my kids, like, you know, inventing games and making stop motion Lego movies and things like that. Uh, and when I, when I look at those things now, I just, I can't believe, <laughs> um, that we did it all but it's because I was doing nothing else. And then the, the second part of the answer is that after we were able to have some childcare again and my husband didn't have to be at the bookstore uh, as many hours every day, then I started writing a novel again. All right, Ruman, what did you think of uh, Emma's message? Did you explore creativity with your kids over the past year? 
You know, earlier this month, I had the opportunity to talk to Kazuo Ishiguro about his new novel, Clara and the Sun. And some small part of the overall inspiration or impetus behind the book was literature for children. Things that he remembered reading as a boy, things that he remembered reading his own daughter. I think that's so remarkable. You know, it's hard to know how what we do on a day-to-day basis will affect our creative work. But even something as absurd as contriving a stop-motion Lego movie to entertain two little boys, (laughs) it may come back months later in some other fashion, in some other impulse. So I don't think you can discount the importance of that kind of play. I don't know whether what I did with my kids, you know, the the days are all a blur. I don't know (laughs) what that's going to do to the work that I produce a year from now. But, like, anything's possible. I also think this is another one of those areas where this crazy year will maybe make us sort of reevaluate what we previously thought of as normal. Because, again, as a non-parent, I have to tell you, whenever I spend time with families that include, you know, little kids, I'm always shocked by how much invention and play and creativity is involved in, like, normal family life. Like, the dullest, least inventive people (laughs) make like these years-long narratives with their kids and they make games from scratch and they bring imaginary friends to life and they read to them doing all the voices like they were in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Like, raising children is incredibly creative and for the most part, I think that goes unnoticed or at least uncommented upon. So maybe that's another thing that changes with last year. I should say here that uh, Emma's bookstore, Books or Magic, is my neighborhood bookstore. And thus, her, these children that she is mentioning are like minor local celebrities. <laughs> you know, there's like, there's a couple of other, there's like some movie people in the neighborhood and also Emma's kids. But the, um, but, but, you know, just as Ruman was saying earlier, that childcare is work, it is also creative work. And the same things that we think about uh, as being part of the creative process are absolutely important to parenting. And so I really appreciated how how that was, um, you know, foregrounded there. And that one of the nice things about getting to spend as much time with my daughter as I have is is watching her creativity, watching mm-hmm. her drawing, you know, or making costumes or um, she and some kids at school are investigating a mystery. They have a mystery club that investigates oh a God. mystery, but she doesn't know what the mystery is. So she, <laughs> so she keeps being like, we have a suspect. I was like, what do you suspect them of doing? And she'll be like, you know, the mystery. <laughs> so Iris has invented this like Eastern European policier that she's existential. Incredible. It's like a Modiano novel or Incredible. something. Um, yeah. uh, no, but seriously. So, you know, like all of that is really wonderful. And one of the things that I want to, keep with me as this time is over is how do you keep encouraging that creativity and not crush it as there are actual academic benchmarks that must be met. And I think that's a real challenge that our society has not figured out in any way, shape or form. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So we've heard from a couple of parents who probably could have used some extra childcare, but they still found ways to stay connected to creative work. But Our next caller is going to talk about a different perspective on the same problem. My name is Jessica Winter. I'm an editor at The New Yorker and the author of a new novel called The Fourth Child. I have not stayed creative in the past year. I turned in the final draft of The Fourth Child on February 17, 2020, and I have not written fiction since then. I've done some research for my next book, but I have not written a word. For a while, I was overseeing remote school, but even once both of my children were back in school, I felt daunted by the challenges of being a single parent in a pandemic. I couldn't rely on family members, friends, and babysitters as I might have in the past, and my children were missing out on all the things they normally do. Their sports and music classes, indoor playdates, after school, visits to their aunts and uncles and grandparents. Given all this, I did not have the space in the physical sense, temporal sense, or the cognitive sense. I did not have the space for creative work. This didn't feel to me like making excuses. It just felt like the way things are. If I have any advice for people, it's for those who, like me, have not nurtured their creativity during this past year, which was unprecedented and awful. My advice is to be kind to yourself and to remember that your creativity did not die in the pandemic. Whether or not you wrote King Lear under quarantine is not a referendum on your talent or your discipline or your character in any way. 
anything you didn't do is a referendum on how hard things have been. There was no life hack or one weird trick for getting out of this unscathed, aside from money and luck. But the things you love to do, the ways you express yourself, they didn't wither for lack of nurturing. They won't abandon you. And when you're ready to meet them again, they will come. Good luck and take care. So, June, what did you think of what Jessica had to say? Well, I think that was amazing and moving and bracing. And I love you, Jessica. Um, like those, those are really incredibly wise words. And in recent years, there's been this valorization of discipline. There's a widely held belief that we can achieve anything if we want to, if we just focus and sacrifice and keep pushing, come what may. And it's just not true. It's just not true. And as Jessica says, a lot of life boils down to money and luck. And I'm really glad that Jessica shared that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It doesn't always work out. You know, you, you can follow every piece of creative advice and maxim that you've read in every book and you could still fail to make the thing you wanted to make, or you could still not have the time or not have the money or just not be able to do it. And that is 100% okay. I mean, it hurts, but it doesn't make you a bad person. If, if you're wired anything like how I am wired, you quickly go to a kind of moralistic place where it's like, I must have screwed up in some way, as opposed to just like, this is really hard. Creative work is really hard. Surviving the last year is really hard. And you just have to acknowledge that. You know, Noel Stevenson talked about that in our interview that just like you have to be gentle with yourself right now because what we are all trying to do is just very difficult. And that's the reality of it. And so I, I'm grateful to Jessica for being so open about that. Yeah, I think that's so worth remembering. And this is advice that's applicable not only for people who do have children. But for all of us, you know, none of us have been at our best in the past year. You know, and Jessica's absolutely right. A passion for music or painting, a desire to write or dance, whatever that is, it's not going to vanish just because we all had a bad year. And being merciful to yourself is maybe the wisest thing to do and also actually a pretty easy thing to do. Okay, it's time to take another quick break, but we'll be back with more voicemails after this. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, listeners, a couple of things real quick. First off, if you are enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss a second of working. Also, do you have questions about the creative process, big or small? Give us a call and we'll offer our best advice. Hey, Ruman and Isaac. This is a, this is a teacher who called in the other, uh, the other day and it was exciting to see my, my question on the podcast and I thank you for taking that up and and I also really appreciate you both kind of acknowledging teaching as a creative process. You did inspire me. And for next week, I have, uh, have a free writing activity to be done in French. So give us a call at 304-933-WORK. That's 304-933-9675. We'd love to hear from you. We're back and it's time to hear some more voicemails. The people we're about to hear from managed to stay somewhat productive during the past year, and they called in to share some of their secrets. First up is a voice that may be familiar to listeners since she was a guest on the show over the summer. Let's listen. Hi, it's Taffy Brodesser Eckner. I am a staff writer at the New York Times Magazine and the author of the novel Fleischman is in Trouble, a new novel coming out in January called Long Island Compromise, and the showrunner on the ordered show for FX version of Fleischman is in Trouble. My survival has been hinged toward just thinking that the notion of creativity is 
another way for us to think about creating and not actually creating. I think if you treat it like work and less like magic, I, I think that's what's worked for me. That's all I wanted to say was to take creativity out of the nebulous space of magic and turn it into what it is. My sister is a veterinarian, and even when she's not inspired, she keeps her appointments. Um, my other sister is an interior designer, and even when she doesn't feel like looking at furniture, she does it um, because there are there are bills to pay. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. I love working. Okay, Isaac, you interviewed Taffy last year. What did you think of her message? Well, I loved it, in part because it feels very her to anyone who listened to our interview, uh, right? And uh, part of creating things is magical. There is a component of it that is ineffable and a little miraculous. But because that aspect of it is actually kind of abstract, I do think that sometimes the best thing to do about it is to not think about it or worry about it at all. Right. Like sometimes it's just like actually pour the concentration you would normally pour into obsessing over this thing you have no control over into the stuff you do, which is questions of craft, questions of scheduling, questions of logistics, all this sort of nitty gritty stuff about creativity that we can have some control over. And I think often that winds up sparking all the kind of magic in interesting ways, right? Um, Just to give one example, we talk a lot about the creative process on the show, but if you are a longtime listener, you will have noticed that no two processes we talk about are the same. And sometimes they're actually incredibly different, even for people working in the same form. Everyone has their own process and part of the job of being creative is figuring out the one that works for you. You know, I loved this advice because Taffy is a productive, very accomplished person who doesn't do that kind of mystical chat about creativity or the muse. I've never found that way of thinking about work to be helpful. And with the understanding that this has been a really weird and extraordinary year in every way, I'm not saying it's possible to clock in at your desk for six uninterrupted hours. But as we heard from Zoe Kazan, she rung three hours out of the day and used them with some focus. Maybe that's an impossible luxury. Maybe your week just gives you one hour on Sunday evenings, but that's still something. I mean, we've had 50-odd Sundays since the shutdown began, you know? Yeah. I, it's funny. I, I really associate that, that attitude that Taffy described with you. Um, it's something I've really taken on board since we started doing the show, uh, since you've mentioned it a few times. Um, so thank you for that. Um, but mostly, though, I, I'm still a little bit in shock hearing all the things that Taffy listed as the stuff she's doing right now. Yeah. Like, that's like having three or maybe four <laughs> veterinarian or interior designer jobs simultaneously. So way to set goals. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So now let us hear from our next guest and how she managed to get some work done this year. This is Alison Bechtel. I'm a cartoonist. I wrote and drew the comic strip Dykes to Watch Out For and the graphic memoir Fun Home. My latest book is coming out in May. It's also a graphic memoir called The Secret to Superhuman Strength. I was strangely fortunate in terms of the pandemic because the lockdown coincided for me with a very intense book deadline. In fact, the book I just mentioned. Um, so you can see that I actually finished it. But the only way I got that work done last year was by staying home, doing absolutely nothing but working 18 hours a day. So even if I had been able to go out to dinner or or away for the weekend, I couldn't have. And it was kind of nice not to have to keep saying no to things. Actually, it was very helpful that no was everyone's default. That's the end of my message. Thanks. All right. So this message is actually from a future working guest. And honestly, I nearly fell out of my chair when I found out that June had interviewed her because it's the great Alison Bechdel, author of Fun Home, one of my favorite books. I actually own a page of it that's on the wall of my living room. I just I've taught it. I, I, oh, I could talk about that forever. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about her voicemail. Ruman, what'd you think? Well, you know, Isaac, the pandemic has taken a lot from us and Every dark cloud has its silver lining, and I think that's what we heard here. You know, has the pandemic also taken away a lot of pointless social obligation? (laughs) You know, I personally miss that fallow 40 minutes of a subway commute, which is when I used to get a lot of reading done. But for others, the ability to just show up at work 
at work, I'm making air quotes, without (laughs) needing to change out of your gym clothes or whatever, it it gives you more time in the day. And I think creative work requires a bit of selfishness. For some of us, the past year has allowed us to guard our time more carefully. Yeah. And as a hermit, I share Allison's relief at not having to say no so often. And even more to not saying yes and then realizing I really don't want to do that thing and having to figure out a way to get out of it without (laughs) disrespecting people. So, yeah, for a fortunate few of us, the last year provided a lot of time to get stuff done. But believe me, I will be asking Allison about working 18-hour days because that's not good for anyone. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I will say... I'm an extrovert, right? Obviously. (laughs) Um, Anyone who's met me knows that. And so I do find there something to be replenishing about being around other people. It can be draining. You know, I often need time to recharge or whatever, but it's been a tough adjustment for me. Um, A lot of my life is walking somewhere to meet someone for lunch in my neighborhood and running into four friends and on the way and saying hi. Um, And also a really important part of creatively recharging for me is going and doing things that currently I can't do. I can't go have lunch with a friend. I can't go to a museum. I can't go to the theater. I can't go to film forum, you know? And so um, there's a lot of in-person stuff that's actually very important to me that I can't do. Um, that is absolutely the downside. The The upside is definitely exactly what you're talking about, that when it's time to go to work, I can just, I mean, my desk is literally next to my bed. So yeah. <laughs> when it's time to go to work, I could just do that. And if I get so exhausted, I need a nap. I can like literally put my head down on my mattress and go to sleep, you know? So like that, that that's been good, but I am missing the IRL parts of my life a great deal. Sure. It's important, I think, to focus on the silver linings. Um, And our next caller actually discovered another of those. Hi, this is Emily Gould. You might know me from novels such as Perfect Tunes. And I'm also one of the many, many great uh, columnists at Slate. I write the Karen Feeding column sometimes. Uh, so, how to stay creative during the pandemic? Um, one of the things that I did, and it's a trick that I've used in the past too, is to teach myself a new skill. I worked on a reported piece, which was a little outside my comfort zone because usually I do criticism, reviews, or um, sometimes profiles, but I had really never written a piece with a lot of reporting um, since I had last worked for my high school newspaper. So um, it was really fun to be bad at something in a way. I just made my brain work in a different way. It was, um, you know, a fresh and interesting kind of challenge as opposed to a kind of continuous drudgery that, um, you know, we're all too familiar with. All right. Hope that helps. So not only was Emily productive, she waded into kind of a whole new creative discipline and actually generated some work. June, what did you think about that? I mean, I'm I'm full of admiration. Um, I know that she's surely been very busy with her kids, but you know, yeah, in a way, this has been a weirdly quiet time, if not literally when you have little kids, but in terms of competing priorities. So it's certainly been... A different year for most of us. So yeah, a great time to try something different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the um, wonderful things about being an adult is you can figure out that there's something you want to know, and then you can just go out and learn how to do it, right? Recently for me, that's been my one of my working New Year's resolutions was to in- encounter more work in translation, right? And so I just picked a country. I was like, well, let's pick a couple countries and just focus on those. So I've been like reading a lot of Japanese novels translated into English and watching Japanese cinema, which I actually don't know that much about. And, you know, like it's fun to just feel yourself becoming better and more knowledgeable at at something, whether it's becoming an investigative journalist or like my wife is learning how to play guitar, you know, and um, the fact that we can't go out and do anything, here's one of our silver linings, um, can create more space to do some of that stuff. Um, It can be hard with kids or other logistical realities, but uh, it does create some space, which can be an exciting thing. I, I liked how frank Emily was about it. It's like, I haven't done this thing. I want to do it. It's a little scary, but why not? 
You know, no one's going to invite you to do it. (laughs) The last year saw so many things break down, but it's heartening to me to think that one of the casualties of the pandemic might have been your own personal hangups about what you're allowed to do as an artist or a writer or whatever. Yeah, that's a really great point. Okay, it's time to take one final break, and then we'll be back with a few more voicemail messages. Raise your hand if you are burnt out. If email is something that gives you like a shiver in your spine. You are not alone. I'm Shirley Leung, host of Say More from the Boston Globe. Our new series is Beating Burnout. We'll hear from Cal Newport, Krista Tibbet, and more. We'll talk about breaking bad habits and forming new ones. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. Say more from the Boston Globe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Slate listeners. I'm Christina Cotarucci, the host of Slow Burn, Gaze Against Briggs. I want to tell you about a special event we're doing at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City on June 13th. To celebrate this new season of Slow Burn and Pride Month, we're hosting an exclusive live taping of the show with special guests, including civil rights activist and Black Lives Matter organizer DeRay McKesson, comedian and singer Esther Fallick, Eric Marcus, the host of Making Gay History, and Sam Fader, director of the Netflix documentary Disclosure, about the depiction of trans people in film and television. We'll dive deeper into this season and talk about the lasting impact of the Briggs Initiative and the continued fight over LGBTQ rights in schools. It'll be the perfect way to celebrate Pride Month this June with LGBTQ stories and voices across generations. Again, that's June 13th at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash slowburn. Hope to see you there. We're back, and now it's time to hear from a few people who kept their expectations reasonable and did what they could without putting too much pressure on themselves. Let's listen. Hello, my name is Roxanne Gay, and I am a writer. I've written books like Bad Feminist and Hunger. And I stayed creative over the past year primarily by reading a lot, which made me want to write a lot because I read a lot of really great books over the past year. And the challenge was that, especially early on during the pandemic, you know, I don't know that I had a lot of motivation because I had so much unstructured time where normally I was constantly traveling and having an otherwise demanding schedule. And you think that when you have a lot of unstructured time, suddenly magic is going to happen, but that's not necessarily the case. It took several months before I was able to find my writing groove, and frankly, I'm still trying to find it, but I am producing work, even though not at the pace I would prefer. Thank you. Isaac, what did you think of that message from Roxane Gay? Well, I think that experiencing works of art is probably the single best way to nurture and replenish your own creativity. You know, and I think that voicemail really spoke to that. I also think we went through, everyone as a country, a period of great trauma. And that experiencing works of art can also be a wonderful way to nourish the parts of you that are injured by that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I really took away from that. You know, like I, if I was teaching a class on creativity right now, part of the homework would be like, you have to go to two museums a week or whatever, you know, if, if we were reopened. Uh, and yeah. I, I just feel like, yes, there's times where you're studying a work of art and you want to break it down for its craft lessons or whatever, but also just kind of like floating down that river of culture and humanity um, is such a wonderfully replenishing thing for our souls, both in terms of our creativity and just our humanity. And so uh, being able to do that is really important. Yeah, you know, Roxanne is saying what I think is the best advice I have to offer, no matter what's happening in life, whenever you feel low. It's the only thing that has ever worked for me. Read, see art, take things in. You know, we can't see art and take things in. We can't go to the ballet right now, but books have never deserted me. You know, I know many people found it hard to concentrate on a book in the past year. That was not my experience at all. If anything, I probably read more. I listened to short stories on audio while I was making dinner. I stayed up late reading novels. I just read a lot. 
And it's the only thing that made me feel a little less trapped. You know, I haven't managed to do a lot of reading, but in the past little while, I've been listening to a sort of audiobook that makes me feel like quite serious and like I want to do the right thing. So while I haven't achieved volume, I have found a way to put myself in the right frame of mind to make some changes by experiencing books. And that was great. So fantastic advice. Amazing. Well, I think that's an easy transition to our next caller who had an experience that was quite similar to Roxanne's. Let's take a listen. Hello, Working. Uh, This is Chris Ogerman. I'm an actor and a filmmaker. I think that you can look at this last year for me in two separate pieces. For the first six months, I got nothing done. It was just incredibly hard to concentrate. And so in response to that, I started reading as much as I could. So I, I read big, long, hard things. I read short, fun things. I did beach reads. I tried to read more poetry just to give some structure to the world. And then uh, sometime in mid-October, I uh, I woke up with something slightly more than a half-baked idea and started writing. And then the writing came really fast. And even if it wasn't great, uh, it, the fact that the, there was volume made it great. And so that's where I am now. So we just talked about how reading can inspire creativity. But the other thing Chris mentions here is that reading was a response to not feeling creative. It was just something he felt like he could manage. And then it happened to bear fruit much later. Ruman, what do you think about that? Well, I I think that you can't really separate the one from the other. You know, it's sort of a chicken and egg situation. Creativity for me fundamentally is curiosity, you know, reading or seeing art or whatever, it makes me more curious, it broadens my frame of reference, it gets my mind humming, and then the work eventually comes from that in some way that can be hard to in, hard to even know. Maybe it's bad, maybe it's less work than I'd want to be producing, like Roxanne suggested, but it is something. Yeah, and I really loved Chris's phrase, the fact that there was volume made it great. Because I... That really is a great feeling to just produce, you know, to be able to get into that brain space where you're not engaging your inner critic. And when you're done with whatever you've been doing at your desk, you have like a pile of papers or a big chunk of words in your dock. And it's such a great feeling. So uh, I appreciate him um, evoking that wonderful feeling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to write it before you can make it better, right? You have to make that first draft before you can make the second draft. And every time I feel really stuck, I sort of chant that (laughs) at myself. One thing that's unifying a lot of these uh, responses we've gotten that I think is important is that there's a certain amount of trust and faith that your ability to be creative and to create things is not has not totally abandoned you for the rest of your life, right? You may be going through an acute moment when you're not feeling creative, but if you can just keep going and take care of yourself and and, and read and replenish, you, you, it'll come back eventually. And I think when you are earlier in your career or when you're just starting on a project, it can be hard to have that faith, but it's really important to have it um, and to keep the kind of light burning and, and follow it as, as you move on. Our next caller actually has some thoughts on this question of how you can keep the faith. Uh, Hi, this is Alex Winter. I'm a director and actor. I think what got me through this last year, and I think L.A. is still pretty bogged down with, with COVID, so it's not, we're not really out of the woods here. We're really simple things, deceptively simple things. I found that trying to do too much when this hit just fried my circuitry. Uh, so I had to kind of pull back on the amount I was trying to do every day, really watch my diet and exercise and get proper rest. Meditating twice a day really saved, uh, saves my backside. It continues to just kind of turn the volume knob down, especially as the political situation heated up. But, uh, it continues to keep me sane as L.A. moves through a kind of on-again, off-again period of things being okay and then things being very much not okay. So I guess I would end with that. I'd say the biggest takeaway I had from this year was self-compassion, was remembering to be kind to myself and to know that some days were going to be better than others. 
And some days we're going to be more productive than others. And some days we're going to be neither productive nor okay. And that's okay. <laughs> Thanks. So listeners might recognize Alex's voice <laughs> um, from his iconic, a word I do not use lightly, role as Bill <laughs> in the in the Bill and Ted movies. Um, he also does a lot of documentary film work. But let's talk about his specific advice. June, what were your thoughts? My thoughts were, that was lovely. I had a big smile on my face listening to that. And and that's my response. Like, what a decent, wise bit of advice and something we can all remind ourselves of regularly, whatever is going on in the world. Yeah, I loved this answer. And I, Alex doesn't mention it, so I have to mention it, that even though probably the day-to-day creative work was not as productive as he was hoping. He did release three movies last year. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, the latest Bill and Ted, um, and his own documentaries, Showbiz Kids and Zappa, all of which are quite good films uh, uh, that I would recommend. Um, so that's a lot to manage on top of the pandemic. But as the advice itself, you know, it's easy to make fun of self-care. I'm putting that in heavy quotes. I hope you can hear it because there's just so much fraudulent bullshit in that space. But mm-hmm. at the same time, taking care of yourself is actually extremely important. Right. And it's extremely important during difficult times like this. And so I appreciated that he spoke in a very low key, practical way to some ways that you can do that. Yeah. And Isaac, you mentioned his work over the past year, his professional output. You have to sort of assume there's some correlation between that and his sort of personal advice here. You know, it's so basic, but it's so thoughtful. Watch your diet, exercise, meditate, stay sane, you know, however you define that. This is all an investment in your psyche, and that's what your creativity is, right? And I really value that. Those first few weeks of shutdown, I was, like, drinking a bottle of wine a night, eating cookies like crazy, stewing in my own stress, and then I stopped. And I work out every morning. I get outside when it's possible, even, like, trudging around this park in the snow, which I absolutely hate. You know, it's (laughs) the most irritating thing, but it's totally true that it makes you feel better. And from that better self, hopefully some work will emerge. If only the stuff that felt good in the moment also made you better long term, right? (laughs) If only only drinking a bottle of wine turned out to be good for your writing. Right, exactly. I I curse that every day. Why is bacon so delicious but not good for you? It's so frustrating. (laughs) Exactly. All right, so we have one final voicemail um, from a friend of the program who uh, I interviewed earlier this year. So let's go ahead and take a listen. Hi, my name is Michael R. Jackson, and I am the author of the 2020 Pulitzer Prize-winning musical, A Strange Loop. And I managed to stay creative this year by focusing on my dreams and thinking through how I can be the change that I want to see in the world. And one of the challenges of trying to do that was really sort of being in a culture and moment that's full of what I sort of affectionately and critically think of as woke dream warriors, kind of like the the kids from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, these people who seem so committed to staying awake and staying aware and staying, like, plugged into, you know, all the various racial and social justice advocacy and not focusing on their dreams, which I found to be a difficult thing to deal with. And the only way that I could overcome that was to focus on my dreams and to focus on trying to be sort of a positive uh, change agent. So one thing this voicemail brings up is that there was another crisis or series of crises beyond the pandemic itself uh, related to it that uh, I think affected a lot of us. Uh, Ruman, what did you think of Michael's advice for dealing with that? You know, I, I remember back to the self of last October and November, completely glued to headlines, completely focused on what was happening in the political day to day, and knowing all the while that it was probably not healthy for me, knowing that it's important, of course, to be an informed citizen, to have a an opinion about the politics of the day, but that you can't let yourself feel totally so consumed by that to the point that it blinds your ability to deal with your everyday life or your creative calling. So I think, I mean, there is some privilege in that advice, but I think it is really good advice. What did you think, June? Yeah, that that's a really nice way to put it. I mean, yes, you got to have dreams to follow. You, you, if, if you are driven 
Um, buy a dream. That's a wonderful feeling. Um, focusing on it is the only way to make it happen. I also think it's really hard to uh, to set aside all of the problems in the world. In October and November of last year, was it really possible to be an engaged citizen and not read those headlines? Um, so it, it strikes me as sort of aspirational advice, like, yeah, focusing on your dreams isn't always possible, but it's a really good price to have your eyes on it at all times also. Yeah, you know, the end of last year, uh, the October to, you know, I guess January, the insurrection in <laughs> yeah. January, I, I was frequently in physical pain, actually, because of my anxiety about what was going on mm. in politics. I used to work in politics. I write frequently for Slate, which is a political uh, a magazine as well as a culture one. You know, um, uh, I have friends who work in politics, lots of friends who are journalists, etc. And it can create this feeling like you are almost like a bad person if you're not up to date on the minutiae of everything happening in politics. And it is absolutely uh, not that you need permission from me, but it is absolutely okay to just take a break from that stuff, delete Twitter from your phone for a couple weeks and just focus on the stuff nearer and dearer to you that you need to take care of and that you can actually impact. You know, it, it, it's all right to not be aware of everything all the time. And I, I am saying this as someone who struggles with that mightily um, and is trying very hard to create some new habits so that I'm not always obsessed with whatever's going on uh, in the headlines every day. All right, that's it for this week's special episode. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll never miss an episode. And yes, I'm going to give you a Slate Plus pitch because Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence. But more important, at least from our point of view, you'll be supporting the work we do here on Working. It's only a dollar for the first month. And to learn more, you just need to go to slate.com slash working plus. Thank you to all of our guests this week who called in and left us messages. And thanks, as always, to our amazing producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week for June's interview with the groundbreaking photographer, Joan E. Byron, who's also known as Jeb. Until then, get back to work. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.